podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Hello everyone and welcome back to Rival Recon here on Anfield Index Pro. I'm Harry Sethi. After the Reds came away with a draw from their opening game away to Chelsea last weekend, the club have had a week to forget off the pitch, missing out on their two high-profile targets for defence midfield and announcing that work on the new stand had been paused after the building company involved in the stand expansion filed for administration. Still, with Klopp's side poised to sign Wataru Endo from Stuttgart shortly, the Reds will at least have added a grizzled Bundesliga veteran to their squad to help provide a better balance to their side. On this week's pod, we'll be looking ahead to the Reds' first Anfield game of the season as Bournemouth arrived this Saturday under new manager Androni Iralo. Joining me this week to share his insight into the Cherries' ambitions for the new season, new signings, Gary O'Neill's departure and more, I'm delighted to welcome on Craig Beasley from the AFC Bournemouth channel UTCIAD. Welcome on, Craig. Good to speak with you. And you as well, Harry. Thank you so much. No, absolutely. It's uh, yeah, start of another season. Uh, feels busy with uh, obviously the transfer window still, still open. As all the Liverpool yeah. listeners to this podcast will be acutely aware uh, aware of, and I'm sure push notifications are enabled everywhere uh, for for different journalists. It's been a busy window for for Bournemouth as well, which we'll come on to talk about. But yeah, delighted to have you join uh, this time just to give us some insight into. Um, the development that we've seen like uh, during the off season for for Bournemouth, both in, in the dugout and also some of the the new recruits that have come through that I just uh, mentioned. But I did want to go all the way back to last season first and foremost, just yeah. to get your opinion. Uh, obviously, finishing fifteenth in the Premier League um, and quite a turnaround, to be honest, in terms of, sort of the the impact Gary O'Neill managed to have in, in the, uh, towards the end of the season. That was uh, obviously pivotal in in Bournemouth staying up in the league. Uh, a yeah. huge win, let's face it. And we'll, again, we'll come on to talk about him and and sort of what transpired with his future um, at the club. But at the end of last season, just wanted to get your general thoughts as to sort of how the campaign had gone. Uh, the areas that I think you thought maybe need to be definitely needed to be improved if Bournemouth were going to have a a better run of it this time round and uh, yeah just your general thoughts with the season. Well, um, I went into the season um, last year thinking that our priority is just to stay up, stay in the Premier League, um, and of course we started the season under Scott Parker and it was this corresponding fixture last year. Um, which yeah. kind of changed everything. So we started off the campaign with a good win against Aston Villa, 2-0 win. Um, and we thought, okay, that's that's good. But we had a run that included Man City, Arsenal and Liverpool. In fact, the Man City game, we was beaten 4-0. But um, as everybody saw, they were wiping the floor with everybody, to be fair. So... Um, I wasn't too disheartened by that. We did keep Haaland quiet. Um, and, you know, it was a decent performance. It was really the Arsenal and the Liverpool games which um, spelled the end for Scott Parker. So mm-hmm. the Arsenal game, we was 2-0 down in the first 10 minutes. Um, Saliba won the goal um, to, for the third one. Um, but we sat back far too deep in that match. And then we realised, okay, we need to do something different. And I think I thought initially it was going to be a learning curve for that for Scott Parker, because when we go back even further to the previous season, um, there was games, you know, we started off that season brilliantly. We got 37 points from the first 15 games. I thought we was going to get the points total. 
um, which stands at 106, that is held by Reading at the moment. And I thought we was going to get that because the momentum was with us. We had a lot of players to come back into the side and Scott Parker did wonderfully for that run. As soon as those players come back in, you know, the kind of reverse happened. Um, so we went very defensive. We were getting beat by teams we shouldn't have. Derby being one of the big ones. We didn't peak Peterborough at all that season. Um, we should have been thrashing Reading. Uh, should have been about 5-0 at half time. We went into the break at 1-0 up. And we just went full defence. It just went completely defensively. Um, made some really odd substitutions. And ended up drawing that game one all. Um, so... My thoughts going into the Premier League season last year was, right, okay, let's stay up. 17th is an achievement. Um, And then, of course, uh, Scott Parker did what he did against Liverpool. There was murmurings before um, this ball had even been kicked by Scott Parker that he wasn't happy with the transfer activity coming in. I was going to say, yeah, I I remember that being the main theme, really, was that he was... making some public comments about how he was dissatisfied with the the lack of transfers, right? And then uh, uh, it seemed pretty clear that there was like some sort of falling out between him and the and the ownership on that, right? Yeah, I think um, Maxim Denim was, of course, we didn't know at the time, but you know, I think he was in the midst of selling the club to Bill Foley. I'm sure we'll touch on that in a bit, but um, he, Maxim Denim did providing with Marco Senesi at the back, which looked to be our weakest point, our defence. And it was throughout the whole season, to be fair. Um, And then we had that game against Liverpool. And if you remember back to that, I think it was three goals in six minutes, wasn't it? Or something at the start. Um, And the reason why that game happened and how it happened was he reverted back to type for the first 10 minutes against Arsenal to that game against Reading, to that game against Derby last season, the games against Peterborough, where he just defended, went way too deep. Liverpool passed in front of our side. And to be fair, it it should and could have been a lot more than the nine, which is, you know, embarrassing, really. I come out of Anfield, I thought, you know, we are going to be right up against it. Um, and then we were sat down just getting something to eat before you know setting back off of Bournemouth and this crazy story come out where he'd thrown the players under the bus he basically turned around and said look we're not good enough we need more transfers there's going to be more games like this and you know I know quite a few people at the club um, Steve Fletcher for example you know one thing that I know was that you could hear a pin drop on that plane home and I think Scott Parker knew he what he'd said was wrong. Um, I got a call from Radio 5 Live and spoke to Robbie Savage and Chris Sutton. They disagreed with me and thought that Scott Parker should have stayed. But we had a young team, and you take the likes of Jordan Zamora and Jaden Anthony in that side, and, you know, a very, very young squad, and then turn around and say, you're not good enough for this division to be honest he was shooting himself in the foot and he was shooting us in to be honest he couldn't really continue after that point yeah. and you know I think and I stand by it he was rightly sacked forget what happened previous season we should have made it more comfortable than we did but Gary O'Neill come in and just to go back to sorry to give you such an elaborate answer on this but Gary O'Neill um come in and got the perfect result after a 9-0 thrashing and that was a 0-0 draw against Wolves a clean sheet we then went to Forest we was 2-0 down 1-3-2 and all of a sudden you know he's got this momentum Harry to be fair from the game against Liverpool and our following defeat against Southampton every other Premier League side had been beaten and Gary O'Neill done a tremendous job. Was I surprised when he was given the job? Um, I was in a way because 
of what else I'd heard um, from journalists. And I even spoke to a gentleman based in Argentina about Marcelo Bielsa, who was linked to the club. And um, he said, it's pretty much a done thing. So there was thoughts around the globe that, okay, Marcelo Bielsa is going to be the next Bournemouth manager. Gary O'Neill's done a fantastic job. And then Gary O'Neill's got appointed all of a sudden. Um, hmm. After the World Cup, we was poor, but you've got to take into account the injuries that we had. Now, a lot of Bournemouth fans, you know, kind of discredit Gary O'Neill. I don't like it because I think what he's done is a very, very solid job. He's He's gone out and done the job that he was set out to do. Um, we survived with four games remaining. Um, you know, Everton helped us out a little bit by getting beat by Man City and were a bit woeful. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, that lot across the park, um, you know, probably did us some favours. But I think what probably sat with Bill Foley, and I even said it at the time, was the final four games. So we're safe at this point. And every Premier League place is a couple of million pounds. Um, so, you know, beat, you know, for example, uh, Crystal Palace or beat Everton or beat Man United, Chelsea, you know, we would have then moved up the table and could have got easily a four, six million pounds increase. What we did for those final four games was just sit back and just be on the beach, you know, quite literally. Um, and maybe that stuck with Bill Foley. Um, but in answer to your question, I was happy with what Gary O'Neill did. You know, I've got so much respect for him. I was a big advocate and probably the biggest advocate of Gary O'Neill in the fan base. I think he'll do a good job at Wolves. Um, and yeah, I was pleasantly surprised because after that Liverpool game, I thought we were dead certs to go down. Yeah, no, it was a... Uh... I think it was also a game that um, probably led to a lot of uh, uh, assumptions and um, early conclusions from from Liverpool fans about what sort of uh, side Liverpool were going to be last season. I, th- I just think, as you say, the tactics in that game were perfect for the uh, the kind of players that we had, the way in which we were setting up. You give Trent Alexander-Arnold that much time on space on the ball, he's going to be uh, – he he will punish you. You know, I, I think that's um, – been proven pretty clearly since then and yeah I remember it well I think it was Diaz scored a brace and I think Elliot scored yep. a goal as well that day as um and it's interesting because you mentioned Parker there and some of his issues with um I mean I wasn't actually aware of sort of the way in which things tailed off a little bit towards the the season prior to you getting uh promoted into the into the Premier League but um I think that, that there are clever ways in which you can handle a situation where you're looking to you want to add more uh, talent to your squad, uh, but you can do that without undermining, you know, the the players that you have there uh, to begin with, you're the ones who have actually helped you get to that stage as well. So I, th- I thought it was a little bit naive on his part. There are ways to sort of get around that, I felt. And Gary O'Neill, you, you talked about there. I mean, I think he's, uh, I mean... He's discovering the uh, the thing every Wolves manager seems to discover uh, at the moment that that they're fantastic up until the final third. Where they just need desperately yeah. need a, desperately need the goal score. I thought he was. Um, I mean, the impact he had uh, to get them to perform the way in which they did at uh, Old Trafford, I think, was speaks volumes. I thought he spoke very well after the game as well, especially being denied uh, such an obvious penalty uh, in in that game for those who saw it. I'm sure most Liverpool fans are aware of that because, let's face it, it's Man United getting away with a, a stonewall penalty in their opening game. Yes. But you mentioned Gary O'Neill and some of the criticisms he faced from from fans. Um, you weren't amongst them. Obviously, you were a fan of his. Uh, what were some of those criticisms that went his way, aside from those last final games you were talking about where you know, perhaps the side was on the beach? I think, you know, the criticisms started around the Spurs defeat at home and the Leeds defeat away from home. Now, in both of those games, um, let's start with Spurs at home. You know, we don't expect to beat Spurs at home, but at 2-0 up, you know, fairly deep into the second half, you'd expect to get something. And what we did was we did what Scott Parker did, really. 
and just went very, very defensive. Now, when you've got, and I personally think we had the weakest defense in the league last season. I don't think we've got that anymore. Um, but we just sat back. We just sat back and got picked off. The Leeds performance was probably that was a tale of two two well two halves effectively. Or 70 minutes and 20 minutes, I should say, Harry. So we went behind due to a dubious penalty. Um and then all of a sudden we clicked into gear and up until about the 70th minute, that was one of our best performances of the season. We overran leads. You know, we had more of the opportunities. We looked more threatening. Um, you know, Gary got the tactic straight on, the spot on there. And then what he's done is he's reverted to type from the previous game. And... It's just crumbled. The players didn't seem like they knew what they were really doing at that point. And I think that's prob- that probably just sat in the heads of the Bournemouth fans and think, right, okay, Gary's an interim at this point. He's not good enough. When, in all honesty, he was good enough. He was good enough. The, the run after the World Cup, I can write off because we had a number of injuries. We had Dom Solanke out. Marcus Tabernier, who was fantastic for us. So I can write that bit off, but, you know, I think personally he learned from those mistakes. Um, And, you know, I made a big point about it is, right, okay, why are we going defensive, you know, late in the game when, you know, there was one other game as well, Brighton nil-nil, we was the better side, and then he's gone defensive and conceded. You know, a point away away from home at Brighton would have been a decent result. And I think we would have got that had we carried on playing the game we were playing. But whereas what he's done is he's reverted to this defensive mindset and allowed them to pick us off. But he's learned from that. And we saw that in the Liverpool game. We saw that against Spurs away from home. The Arsenal game, I've got to say, um, you know, for... I wouldn't say it was one of our better performances, even though some people absolutely raved about that game. But I would say that, you know, it was managed tactically right. And unfortunately, Arsenal were just a better side than us. But... I think he learned from those mistakes and he showed on Monday that he's he, he's taken that to Wolves and again, you know, he knows that he doesn't need to go too defensive. He knows that we can attack from the front or his team, you know, now in the case of Wolves, can attack from the front and sometimes that's the best way of playing. No, of course, yeah. I think it's, uh, it's uh, well, it seemed clear to me anyway that there was... Um definitely a, a level of learning that had gone on from Gary O'Neill and sort of the way in which he's he's handled himself already at Wolves. It'll be interesting to see, see how he, he tries to approach that challenge because it's a very clear one. But yeah. uh, talking about his tactical style, some of the um, reasons why fans weren't perhaps as happy with it at points during last season um, and also the, the way in which the season finished as well, the club obviously decided to move in a different direction and uh, sacked Gary O'Neill and appointed... Uh, Andoni Iraula, who's a, the, the former Rayo Vallecano manager, yeah, uh, that I, I'm guessing was indicative of this 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 desire to to move to a new style. So I wanted to ask you what that new style is, what your thoughts were on that appointment, um, and also, I guess the the third point from that would be what were the areas of the team that you thought, okay, if if we're going to try and play this this new style, this new way. Uh, these are the areas that we definitely have to work on. Well, going back again to last season, we made a number of uh, signings in the January transfer window. Um, so we bought in uh, Dongo Batara. Um, he was bought in from Lorient. Um, of course, quite a controversial move because Bill Foley's got um, stakes in Lorient. Hamid Traore. We bought in from Sassoulo. He was alone, and then we purchased him Vina. Um, but all these players that we signed in that January window um, had this style, 
where they were very attacking front minded players, um, you know, who liked to press high. Um, and were a little bit different from the style that Gary O'Neill kind of demonstrated, you know, between that really good run, between that Liverpool and Southampton game, they were very different players. Now, I did think, you know, back when Iriola was appointed, I thought, did they have this in mind? Because, of course, Marcelo Bielsa was mentioned. And I do think that, they had Iriola earmarks because Leeds did try and get him from uh, Rio Vallecano and um, Iriola didn't move. He, you know, full respect to him, he saw out his contract with Rio Vallecano. And... Are you that person who has everything? The coolest merch and those must-have fan threads? Well, over at our Anfield Index shop, we've gone that extra mile when it comes to pimping up your Liverpool collection. From our popular range of bespoke design t-shirts, sweaters, hoodies and hats, to our signature edition mugs, prints and coasters, all provided with fast worldwide shipping. We have something for every red. We also stock official LFC merchandise and are licensed with the Premier League and UEFA to sell official iron-on shirt badges and sleeve patches. As a listener to this podcast, you can get 10% off everything with coupon code AIPRO10. Just head over to anfieldindex.shop or find us on Etsy by searching for Anfield Index. I think, you know, personally, his style is what most Bournemouth fans want. It is a very high press, you know, pressing the defenders at the back. Um, He's... He's part of the Basque Management School of Excellence, really. Um, it seems to be forming. Um, of course, Lopetegui is left Wolves, but I think, you know, he was very, very good manager, of course. Um, Arteta, uh, Unai Emre, and of course, Zabi Alonso is in there as well. And mm-hmm. it's quite interesting because I spoke to a gentleman called Mikel Ekstari. Um, He didn't speak very good English, so I had to narrate everything on my channel. But um, I spoke to him about, you know, what is the differences in a Basque manager. And it's a, start, it's a case that respect is the number one thing for them but they will do the hard graft. They want their teams to work at 110% and put that pressure, you know, the defence comes from attack. And that's what we saw against West Ham the other day. Um, the first when half you was say a... respect, Craig, just to go back to that a second. Of course. In terms of respect, do you mean the, the players having respect for the manager or it has a respect shown by the application on the pitch that's sort of the level of work rate? It seems like it's the application on the pitch, but also the management side as well. Um, And it seems that Basque managers also have a respect for their players. There's certain types of players that um, they want on board. And that's effectively what Mikel was um, trying to point out during the conversation I had with him. Um, And it's quite interesting because Rayo Vallecano, um, are an untraditional side in Spain, in La Liga. Um, they have got, you know, a ground that isn't particularly up to the standard. Um, and the equivalent, if you put an equivalent on them, um, I know that they've been there a couple of seasons now in the Liga, um, but it's effectively like the size of Luton Town and probably the budget of Luton Town. What Iriola did there was remarkable because he played to a strength, a style that he knew, um, which was this really high press, making those defenders on the other side make mistakes. And it it proved the right move because he got wins against Barcelona and Real Madrid last season. And... Um, that's what he's employed straight away at Bournemouth. It was a slow start against West Ham the other day, but at the same time, we did see that. And there was only going to be one, if that game had continued for another five minutes, there was only going to be one winner and it wasn't West Ham. Um, So if you want my honest opinion, if it was the right move, initially when Gary O'Neill was sacked, um, 
I was quite livid. Um, I was disappointed by the club. I thought that they'd effectively sign their own relegation because at that time, the names being mentioned were Frank Lampard, Jesse Marsh. And I know he's a Liverpool legend, but Steven Gerrard as well. Um, and I thought none of these managers are going to be able to you know, achieve more than what Gary has done. Um, firstly, they need, don't know these players. Um, but secondly, you know, Gary's done such a good job and, you know, deserves time to continue that. When we found out who was coming in, though, it made sense. And it, imagine it's like seeing a car that you really want that's just been sold to a dealership. And you've got a car that is good make, good make, good type, but you really want this car. And it's that snap decision. You know, you've been looking at it. And that's what Bill Foley did. It was a case. I, I think, you know, Iriola has been on his mind a long period of time. And I think they knew what they were going to do if Iriola had become available. As soon as Iriola become available, the speed in what they moved, um, you know, it was mm. pretty impressive. Yeah, no, it's interesting insight there into sort of the, the kind of manager he is. And obviously you're talking about the Basque the Basque school of managers and sort of the shared philosophies or or aspects of the philosophies that are shared. I mean, I was like, briefly thinking when, you know, you, you miss out on Bielsa, it seems, and then you think, okay, well, the players' hamstrings give a sigh of relief. And then <laughs> you've got somebody else who's coming in who, again, is um, of a similar school of, of philosophy around pressing. I'm guessing that's, that's, that's meant that pre-season has been very much putting the players through their paces. And it sounds like from what you're saying that you finished the fitter and the stronger side against against West Ham as well, which yeah. is uh, obviously going to stand you in great stead. What you've got to remember as well, Iriola was, did play for some time under Marcelo Bielsa. Um, so if Marcelo has had a say in the move, I don't know, but um, it's he seems to have the same sort of philosophies, but also with this Basque type of... and. I really like it. I really like what, you know, um, Mikhail explained to me and their whole philosophy that they're going to work and work and work and work and work. Um, you know, the pressure, but the respect will be there. So effectively, what I mean by that is that the players will be put through their paces. They will be challenged. We've got an abundance of midfielders at the moment. And it was very, very difficult to pick who was going to start against West Ham. To be honest, we got close, but we could have got it completely wrong as well. Um, So, Hello, I'm here to annoy you. I'm here to annoy you into listening to more of me and more of others on EPL Index. We don't just have the Anfield Index stuff. We've got EPL Index as well, which covers the entirety of of the Premier League. And we have three podcasts and a whole bunch of really good writing on EPLindex.com. The podcasts are my own two-footed podcast, which is every day at 4 p.m., Monday through Friday, covering the whole league. We have a tad predictable hosted by Tadiwa. You know Tadiwa, he does Anfield Index. He presents a tad predictable before every Premier League match week. And then Kevin DeVries and his crew on the EPL roundtable there every week after the Premier League match week. So make sure you listen to everything we're doing on EPL Index and follow us there on Twitter at EPL Index. Thank you. Bye-bye. There's so... What Iriola is going to do is he's going to find or going to utilise those players and make sure that they push each push each other but also have that mutual respect it seems that there's a lot of respect around the club the players seem really really happy now Gary O'Neill kept the players happy and um but there seems to be just a little bit of a different dimension to what we've seen before yeah of course and with any new philosophy it's yeah I think the the level of buy-in you're going to get uh, get for it is obviously going to be based upon sort of the success the players have with like implementing that system. So yeah, the more wins you pick up, the more competitive games that there are. I'm sure the players are going to buy in again and again to to this new sort of more 
more attacking style, or maybe if, it, if it's not even just to call it attacking, it's a bit, bit simplistic. But you're it's it's more of an imposing style. You're actually being proactive in the way in which you're imposing yourselves on teams with that with that pressing. I did want to talk yeah. about just before we get to the transfers and the players that have come in, sort of the profile of players that have been have been sought after. You, you've been talking about Bill Foley a number of times. Obviously, purchased the club. Uh, yeah. in December uh, December last year. Um, those who are obviously aren't familiar, um, uh, part of a uh, Black Knight football, uh, football club partnership, is, is that correct? Or am I, uh, yeah, that's uh, it's, it's something like that. It's something like mm. that. Um, so and Michael course, B. Yeah. Jordan is involved as well. I think that's the other thing that probably sort of fans who've been on the, on the periphery will be aware that, uh, yeah, the... Uh, uh, the Hollywood actor Michael B. Jordan uh, of Creed fame, of Black Panther yes. fame, is uh, is is loosely involved as well. Yeah, yeah. I think you know Bill Foley um, is a very very bold man. He's seventy seven years old, um, but he seems to go into places um, both in business and in sport, and want to completely revolutionize those entities effectively um so for example um the vegas golden knights he started that on his own um and he bought ice hockey to the desert which is a quite a bold move in itself really um and of course they've just recently won the stanley cup i think why he invested into afc bournemouth was you know there is clubs out there um you know he could have invested into a liverpool man united newcastle someone like that um but i think he chose not to um you know there's teams further down the pecking order you you take the likes of sheffield wednesday reading um sunderland clubs like that who are quite historical but at the same time um i think he saw a project this club of course, was on its knees years ago. Um, minus 17, looked like it was going out of the Football League. Um, the bailiffs were coming in, taking all the stock, locking the club doors. I think uh, Jeff Mostyn had to keep digging into his pocket. And I think that's what Bill Foley likes, is that this is a project. You know, we're not going to stay at Dean Court. You know, the training ground is now pretty much completed um, or getting there. And... I think he sees that he can put his real stamp on this football club. And I think that's what's brought in uh, Michael B. Jordan, um, as well as Nulasaka. Um, you know, even though Michael B. Jordan and Bill Foley are the big names, Nulasaka is going to be in charge of a lot of commercial side of things, increasing the brands around the world. Um, Jim Frivola, of course, is looking at things on the club level. So, They've got aspirations to make this into a club which, you know, a, a, it's a small club at the moment, but into something that maybe Bill Foley in 10 years time, you know, remember in 10 years time, he'll be 87 years old. He might think, right, OK, days with sport is done. He's bought the club. For, I think it was about 120, 130 million. You know, his plan, I would say, is to be able to sell it for three, four, five, even six times that because of what he's done um, in both on the pitch and in the stands. I don't think Dean Court is going to last much longer. Um, they've done some great work around it, you know, bringing it up to, you know, a little bit more of a level, um, a bit more of an enjoyable place to watch football. But I think, nobody can kid themselves that they're going to say, right, okay, we want to stay here. You know, we're not too bothered about the ground. They want the new ground. They want the new training ground. They want to bring in the best players. They want to be successful on the pitch. Yeah, we probably won't ever win the Premier League, but at the same time, I think what their aspirations are of let's get into Europe, let's, you know, establish ourselves um, like we nearly did under Eddie Howe, um, although it was always a it's a completely different shift again from that. Um, I think their plan is to you know consolidate ourselves as a Premier League side that are competitive and not having to look over their shoulder. 
Yeah, I think that's what you want from any new owners, isn't it? A level of ambition, yes. but also sort of a level of responsibility to go with that. That they're gonna they're gonna go after these targets um, in a way that doesn't sort of jeopardize anything towards the club. And it, it sounds as though they're actually, yeah, much more um, much more astute than that, um, given the, some of the players that are involved as well. Even despite some, of course, the the Hollywood glamour um, that's uh, that's associated with it too. I think what. Who is it? LeBron James, isn't he? Like, like a minority owner of Liverpool, I think, yeah. as well, but ha- hasn't turned up. I mean, I'm just, just desperate for them to do like a uh, sort of a Nike commercial with him and uh, him and Van Dyke. It just seems like a no-brainer, yeah. but clearly no one's pitched that clearly. I'm not sure what's happening, but uh, moving on from that, just to talk about the the transfers and the players that have come in. Uh, been a busy summer so far yeah. uh, in terms of sort of the number of players that have come in and uh, forgive me if I forget some here, but just looking at sort of the the names that I'm seeing, there was a, a, a goalkeeper Radu who's coming in alone from from Inter Milan, Max yeah. Ahrens, uh from from Norwich, uh, Justin Clive was one that caught my eye from Roma, Favre, yeah. um, Roman Favre from uh, Leon, Kerkes, uh Alex Scott is a central midfielder from Bristol who's come in as well, and uh, Hamed Junior Traore, uh, an attacking midfielder from Sassuolo. Uh, all these players again, it was really interesting sort of seeing the profile, of course. Yeah, at, at an age where I think the oldest player there is, that I that I read off is the goalkeeper from Inter Milan is on loan is twenty six years old. The rest of them, are, you know, early twenties, and I think actually Kirk is uh, and, and Alex Scott are nineteen. So again, that profile of younger players who could develop, uh, who can withstand probably the physical demands of what they're going to be asked to do as well. Uh, and also have that resale value. So you can see some of the philosophy in motion there. Uh, are you happy with the business that's been done so far? And of those players that have come in, I mean, who who are you, are you expecting the the bigger seasons from? To be honest, I'm absolutely delighted. It's um, very, very strange to be in this situation. Remember, we did spend quite a lot in January as well. Um, and it's it's a complete world away from, you know, 10 years ago, you know, the sort of players we were signing, Um, you know, of course we just been promoted to the championship at this time. Um, And yeah, it's, you have to pinch yourself a bit. I think it's 93 million. um, I believe we've spent already in the transfer window and it doesn't look like we're done yet. So Tyler Adams has been mentioned as well from Leeds United um, to fill in for Jefferson Lerma. I do think some in some cases, I think Jefferson Lerma and, of course, Jordan Zamora um, kind of jumped the gun a little bit too early because I don't think they realised how much ambition, you know, this club was going to have. Or if they did, they thought, right, OK, our game time is going to be limited now. Um of the players that you mentioned, the player that's really stood out for me so far is Milos Kerkes, um, the left back. I think, you know, he was signed from AZ Alkma, um, and he's very quick. He's very skillful. He cuts it with it inside. Um, he's one of those attacking left backs as well. Um, against Lorient, yes, it's a friendly, but against Lorient, he ran into the box. Well, almost got there and was hacked down. We didn't have a penalty at all last season, Harry. And I think (laughs) some of that was a little bit unfair, but I think that man will win us some. Um, And he looks such a good prospect. Of course, Clive, you know, he's always got that pressure because his dad was such a good player. Um, Mm. So I think he will be, you know, what we've seen of him, he's been used as an impact player. So far, I actually think he might start against Liverpool at the weekend. Um, And, of course, we've got Max Ahrens. Max Ahrens, very, very good right back. Um, You know, one of the highest rated in the championship. Um, You know, always seem to have a decent season in Norwich side that just bobbed up and down. So he's very, very exciting to have on board. and Alex Scott, we haven't seen him, of course, so far. Um, he's been injured um, and he'll be out for the next couple of weeks. But when we do see him, he's such a good prospect. He's exciting. Um, and, you know, there's a reason Bristol City fans were big, big fans of his. Um, in fact, what's quite funny is he was, for a short period of time, at the club. 
So we did actually have Alex Scott for a short period of time. And then he went to Southampton um, and their academy before going to Bristol City. So, yeah, we kind of missed out on him, but he's come back. Um, But I'm delighted with our transfer activity. Um, Mm. Tyler Adams, I think, you know, probably will happen. He's got this release clause with Leeds, a timed release clause. So... um, there's some sort of wranglings about that at the moment with Leeds, I think. Um, I don't think they're particularly happy with us because we took Aaron's away from their nose as well. Um, but I think that will happen because it sounds like Tyler Adams is quite keen and quite intent on staying in the Premier League. And, you know, we can offer that. Um, looking at our squad now, there's so much strength around the pitch. You know, Radu. It, the goalkeeper, of course, he is going to be playing a lot of the time back up to Neto, who was fantastic last season. However, I think, you know, he's a good enough goalkeeper that if something happened to Neto, then we could go, right, OK. And in fact, that's a loan to buy option. So we've got the option to buy him at the end of the season. Right. I think that really depends on what happens with Mark Travers at Stoke. So the moves that, why I mentioned that one is because the moves that club have been making are sensible, um, strategic moves. We're not spending the earth. Yeah. 93 million is ridiculous for this football club, but I don't need a VPN. I've got nothing to hide. This is what I used to tell myself before I hooked up with LibertyShield.com. Not only is my home internet now fully encrypted, but I can now access all the websites I want, whenever I want, and do so from absolutely anywhere. As a Liverpool fan, I love to know I can now watch every match, regardless of whether it's on UK TV or not. My LibertyShield VPN makes sure nothing is blocked and guarantees me super-fast streaming speed throughout that match. You can get connected right now with their software package, which includes a 48-hour no-obligation free trial and instant access to their apps for Apple, Android, Fire TV, PC, Mac, and Android TV. Or go a step further like I have and get one of their pre-configured VPN routers. These small but powerful devices allow you to easily connect every device in your home to VPN, making it the perfect solution for smart TVs, magboxes and games consoles. Visit libertyshield.com today and use coupon code AIVPN25 to get 25% off at checkout. We're spending the money cleverly. You know, there's a lot of great work that's happening behind the scenes with Richard Hughes and Neil Blake. Um, and I think that's that just highlights it, that if Travers struggles at Stoke, um, and of course, one of his, well, no, he did play again, you know, later on in the season, but he was actually dropped for that Wolves game directly after that Liverpool match, because I think he just blew his confidence. I think it just blew his confidence. And, you know, he needs to get that back. If he can't get that back in the Premier League, maybe he could get it back in the Championship and we move on, we sign Radu. Um, but again, it's clever moves, it's strategic, and um, you've got to... There's full credit to Neil Blake, Richard Hughes, and the whole team of the club at the moment. Yeah, no, it's really showing a great deal of ambition. And I think you mentioned there as well, I mean, as long as the players fit the criteria of the kind that the managers want wants to work with and wants to mould, I think that's the most yeah. important thing, obviously, whilst also safeguarding yourself should the manager depart at one stage that you can still have you know a good core of players and people that you can sell as well yeah I think Tyler Adams is one Liverpool fans will be aware of that name as well because on on our sort of existential quest for a new defensive midfielder that we're on um, I think he his is a name that has come up and I think yeah the only concern I think it was with Tyler Adams I think it seems to be that he has obviously gone through quite a few uh, different injuries already for, for for a player who's so young, but you do hope he can obviously get past all that because f- from what yeah. he's shown, there's a real talent there for sure in terms of playing in a high high intensity system as well. And I guess it brings us on to the game itself then this weekend. And it's I think 
at Anfield, as you mentioned, the last time uh, the, the two sides met at Anfield was that yeah. nine that nine nil defeat. Yeah. Um, Liverpool sort of started the season in, in an interesting position, I think, because I think the the quality of the signings that have come in so far in uh, Alexis McAllister and uh, Dominic Subashlai. I don't think anybody's got any problems with that. I think they're, they're both really talented players, fit the profile of what we want to do. Um, and actually, I think that probably the fittest squad that we've had for for quite a while now, everybody's available touch wood right now. Uh, it's been that defensive balance of the, of the squad that's felt like it's off. Missing, obviously, a defensive midfielder. Looks like we're going to have a Japanese uh, addition today in Watoru Endo from Stuttgart. But um, yeah, that balance hasn't felt right, to be honest. So, uh, I'm interested to sort of get your opinion. I mean, given how last season's game went, and then given how the reverse fixture went, of course, with Bournemouth picking up that win, I think it was the game following a 7-0 win uh, against Man United, again, which made it even more galling, I'm sure, to Liverpool fans at the time. Yeah. It shows you the the desire from Bournemouth. Um, how, do you, how do you anticipate the manager's going to approach this kind of game? Because, again, early in the season, you're looking to build confidence. Yes, fantastic to be a pressing side, but you're also needing to be wary of um, you know, pressing against a side like Liverpool who who have the attacking outlets that they do as well. I mean, how do you expect him to to approach this game so early in the season? My honest answer is I'm not sure. <laughs> well, I'm not really sure. Um, right. <laughs> because Iriola is one of those managers that does, like I say, press really, really high and want to make the defenders make mistakes. Liverpool will like that. Um, and, you know, I did speak to somebody about that, you know, the other day. And, you know, it's going to play into Liverpool's hands. If we sit too far back, again, that's not going to be successful, even be it we've got a stronger defence. I think what we've got to do is what Gary O'Neill did at home to Liverpool. And... I think it's manage things quick break, um, you know, good possession based football. I think we've got to do that rather than, you know, pushing too high, hoping that Liverpool make mistakes at the back, because that's not really going to happen. Um, I think what we need to do is it's got to be more possession based. I think we're good enough to do that but also the quick breaks, the quick breaks. But when Liverpool have got the ball, fall back into position, not right back to you know, your goal line like Scott Parker did, but, you know, drop back. You know, that high press isn't going to work against a team like Liverpool. Yeah, I think you're right. It's it's, it's going to be those moments of transition that are really important. I mean, whilst the club are without a a designated defensive midfielder. Yes, it looks like Endo is going to be um, probably announced today, but you'd imagine it's a bit too soon for him to just be dropped in. Although, yeah, given sort of what I've heard about his uh, his sort of approach and his style and his experience, I wouldn't be surprised if we did if we did go for it as well. But I I imagine it's going to be um, a, a combination, perhaps of Thiago uh, and maybe maybe McAllister back there again. But it's clear that our intentions with McAllister are for him to play further forward because he has much more influence on the game. I think it's, that's what we saw a bit well, against Chelsea. I think we saw that the side conceded then that the, the, the defense dropped quite deep, but then there was some probably too much space between the defense and the midfield and just got dominated for large stretches, especially when they got you know players, the likes of Enzo Fernandez, who can you know pass around the press all day. So it's going to be interesting. I think it's, you're right. The more open the game is, Liverpool will like that, and they'll they'll back themselves to have more firepower, obviously, to do yeah. to do damage. But um, I think the yeah, seeing how the press is implemented, whether or not you target the fullbacks or try and target um, Trent or try and target Robbo, who's who, who's uh, had a bit of a hard time recently as well. I think that's going to be uh, really interesting. I mean, if I was to ask you, I mean, just around if, if there's a particular player that you're not particular. Uh, Potentially looking forward to facing, like who, who, who would it be from this Liverpool side? Is it is it one of the one of the more, uh, I suppose, like uh, established names, or is there another player that you've like sort of admired from um, from the Liverpool side that you think is probably the more the more difficult customer? 
to be honest, without you know uh, the obvious of Mo Salah, um, yeah. of course Mo's a fantastic player, he's and always um, yeah, I think you know he's going to be a trouble for any team. But I think Alexis McAllister, I really do rate him. Mm-hmm. I do really rate him, and I think if you can keep him quiet. You know, I think you're winning that battle in midfield. You know, our midfield is our strongest area of the pitch. And I think that's probably what we need to look at doing is, right, okay, let's just keep, you know, that midfield, you know, quite tight, keep possession there, try and break away, try and break, you know, cause issues for the um, fullbacks. And, you know, hopefully grab a goal. It's not going to be easy. It, going to Anfield never is. Um, but, you know, I think that's where we're going to get the most joy. And that's why I think we might start with Justin Clivert rather than mm. Jaden Anthony. Jaden Anthony, great player, fantastic um, left winger. But at the same time, I think that Justin Clivert is probably more suited to this game. Yeah, that makes sense. And that should be exciting to see Justin Kleiber. Yeah, I'd, I'd watched him a bit when he was at Roma. And he's clearly an exciting talent, as you say. He's got that unfortunate last name to try and sort of overcome as well with his uh, with his dad's ability. Uh, I suppose yeah. that brings me on to sort of yeah, just my final question, really, that you're know, like, listening to what you're saying there about the the ambition of the owners, the way in which the the coach wants the side to play, the the group of players that you've got there, sort of a young core, like the the level of enthusiasm and buy-in is going to be there. It sounds as though it's, you know, it's most likely going to be a really exciting season uh, for Bournemouth. But where do you think fans' expectations are? I mean, you said right at the start of the pod, 17th, you know, again, it's just about like um, survival at this stage and then uh, building from there. But with so much you know, positive stuff happening around the club, I mean, where do you think fans' expectations are for the team at the moment? I think 17th was, you know, our aim last season. But I think this season, Bill Foley, I think, over a number of years, wants to challenge for Europe. Um, it's not going to happen this year. Uh, this is a work in progress. This is, you know, building a side... And then we'll probably make more additions throughout, you know, the the years to that. But building a side and building a core that can then push on and be successful. I think, you know, realistically, he would be quite happy with maybe 13th, 14th this season. But I personally think we might be able to push to about 11th place. I don't think we're going to be in the relegation battle at all. I'd be very surprised and very disappointed if we are. Um, but I think 11th isn't out of it. Are we going to get Europe this season? No, I, I can't see it at all. You know, that would be remarkable. But um, I think slow steps, if we can get to about 11th this year and then make the next step up, then I think that will keep Bill Foley happy. Um, I think he'd be happy with 14th, 13th, 14th, 15th this season, um, as long as there is progress being made um, and it's not a scrap at the end. Yeah, I'm sure. So we've got a couple of high-profile wins and they're dotted in there just to showcase that progress as you're talking about. I think that's that's always obviously really important, especially when I was talking about your players buying into a philosophy. I think those those kind of wins really really help to uh, establish that belief but um well look at what Iriola has done in Spain and the teams he has beaten exactly yeah and I think personally if he can you know replicate that and beat a high profile side um you know like a Man United or a Man City or Liverpool Arsenal uh, I'm not counting Spurs in that um but you know beat one of those at Chelsea maybe um, mm. considering what they've done in the transfer window. Yeah, spending you know, the sort of budget of a small country. Yeah. <laughs> oh, right. Honestly, it's a little bit ridiculous. And to be honest, I feel sorry for Liverpool fans because um, Chelsea <laughs> have, they found a loophole. They've utilised that loophole. That loophole's been close, closed and it looks like they might have found another one. But yeah. you, you compare that against um, Wolves, and Gary O'Neill's hands are really very much tied at Wolves. 
um, because of FFP. You know, why are Chelsea not subject of that? That's really the big question for me. Oh, yeah. Is just points to a lack of lack of regulation, doesn't it? Really, sort of the lack of willingness to uh, impose regulation on sides that are, yeah, supposedly exactly. amongst the big six. It's really, it's really been disappointing. I know it comes across as hard lines when you lose out on transfer targets and <laughs> and the like. But um, yeah, I think it's. I do think what they're doing is pretty disgusting to be honest, to be honest to have spent that much in such a short period of time I think is ish. can't be right surely No exactly and you know you got to think as well you know I know that they're down there now um and what they've spent you know has been really really poor but Everton for example now Everton mm. spent you know, ridiculous amounts. And I think Wolves are being penalised more than Everton are. Um, I think, is it because of the profile of the club? Is it because of, um, you know, who they are? You know, it's... It's easy to do that, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it's just a bit wrong. Um, You know, Man City, look at how many things that they've got against them. Um, But again, yes, nothing seems to be progressing very quickly. So Mm, yeah, yeah, there's a lot of problems uh, that the Premier League needs to tackle. Um, And I feel sorry for Liverpool fans because you have lost out to players, which, you know, if Chelsea were doing things fairly, which is what Liverpool's been doing, then, you know, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it might be a whole different story, but um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's that That's way. I mean, yeah. Yeah, I find it, I mean, I, yeah, I, fi- I find it difficult to feel too sorry for ourselves. I think, um, yeah, it's uh, absolutely there's, I, I think what those other clubs you mentioned are are doing and the lack of uh, consequences for for the way in which they're behaving, I think is is obviously not right. But uh, yeah, with Liverpool, I think, yeah, I think it did, regardless of what happened with Chelsea, I think it does point to a little bit of a lack of a lack of process that we've had this this window in terms of the way in which we've approached our targets. Uh, so I think hopefully that will get rectified after this window. But yeah, we'll be we'll be fine. I'm sure. I think yeah. I don't. I, I, I think it's uh, it's often hard for me to feel sorry for Liverpool given sort of the way in which they're operating at. But yeah, I understand that. I think it's going to be a really interesting game on the weekend. And again, Craig, just want to thank you so much for for coming on and for sharing all your insight into sort of the the journey Bournemouth are are on. You know, like still on obviously under the new owner and um i think it's yeah it's certainly an exciting path that's being forged ahead for for where the club can go so thanks thanks again for coming on really appreciate that is there anything you want to to plug before we do wrap up uh yeah so um of course if anybody is interested um do check us out we are on spotify we're on google podcasts apple iplayer all that sort of thing um but also on youtube um so you can find us by searching utc iad um do check out the interviews as well that i did with mickey lexari that i did reference earlier on um we've also got harry's um season preview i think harry redknapp has now been on <laughs> six seven times he always nice. turns up so yeah he's a he's a good man everybody associates him with west ham but actually he's probably got more affiliation to bournemouth than he has west ham mm. yeah no I, I just it sounds disparaging but especially this time of the uh of the season i, I just associate him uh sort of lowering his window leaving a training ground, right? <laughs> yeah. and, and making comments along the lines of, nah, nah, no business, no business. And then yeah. <laughs> three or four players come in within the next few hours. So yeah. It's oh, you much, know Harry too well, Harry. Uh, very very much his his, uh, his time of the season, absolutely. So uh, yeah, I'd encourage people to check that out. And uh, yeah, to all the listeners, um, to obviously sort of uh, yeah, joining us again for, for this series of Rival Recon on, on Anfield Index Pro, uh, yeah, just the second game of the season, of course, this one, and we'll be back again uh, ahead of the uh, trip away to Newcastle, which is, yeah, no doubt going to be a, a difficult one, uh, given the way in which they're developing and building that side as well. It would be a difficult atmosphere, I'm sure, uh, under the lights on a on a Sunday evening. So, yeah, do, do join us again for a pod ahead of that game, and you may hear me a little bit between now and then uh, discussing some new incomings. It sounds like there's going to be uh, uh, the, the need to obviously discuss uh, Wataru Endo, who's coming in from Stuttgart, and maybe 
seems as though there's some links to uh, Sheikh Decore from from Palace, so we'll see. But yeah, do tune in uh, if there are those pods from me uh, between now and then. But otherwise, yeah, I'll see you again ahead of the uh, the Newcastle game. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement, and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community, where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.